My name's Steve. I'm the campus pastor here at Genesis Church. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. You may feel like we're never going to get there, but I promise you we will. Matthew 6, it's page 678 in this Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one of these on the floor around you somewhere. Take that, grab that. If you don't have a Bible at home, take this one with you. It's our gift to you uh, because we want you to be reading at home as well. Let me ask you a question. How many of you knew before you came to church this morning that we'd be talking about money today? Raise your hand. Thank you for coming anyway. I'm so thankful for you guys. You guys uh, deserve a big cheer. Way to go. I'm, I'm so happy. We're, we're starting a new series today called Mine, and I know some of you are a bit nervous, maybe a bit on edge, uh, what we're going to talk about, because you know whenever the church talks about money, they always talk about giving. It's always the same story, same thing over and over again. It's always going to be about giving. I know when that hotline bling, it can only mean one thing, right? And so you know it's going to be about giving, but that's not what this is about. That's not what this series is about. In fact, uh, we need to talk a lot more about giving because there's, uh, there's so much more that the Bible talks about when it comes to money. So over the next three weeks, we're going to take a holistic approach to money because the truth is that God cares about all aspects of your life, and that includes your financial life. And it's not because he needs your money. He doesn't. God doesn't need your money. The Bible says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need anything from you. But... God cares about every aspect of your life, including every aspect of your financial life. And this is how I know. If you read the Bible, what you'll see is there are about 500 verses about prayer. There are somewhere more than 400 verses about faith. But there are 2,350 verses about money. One in seven verses in the New Testament talks about money or possessions. And so the fact that we talk about it three times a year says that we're probably underselling it, right? We're probably not doing our duty because Jesus talked about it about 15% of the time. That'd be seven or eight weeks a year. We could probably give it a lot more stage time than we do, uh, but we don't. Nearly every parable Jesus told had something to do with money or possessions. And here's why. I love author Greg Laurie says it this way. There is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. See, the Bible doesn't just talk about generosity when it talks about money. There are scriptures about how we should earn our money and earn it honestly. There are scriptures about how we should spend our money and spend it wisely, how we should invest our money and save our money, and yes, how we should give our money as well. God cares about every aspect, every aspect of your financial life. It's like this. Let's say that you go to leave here today and your car won't start. I might loan you my car. I really might. My wife wife can drive me home. I've got a way home. Uh, I'll probably... You want to check your driving record first and see how you drive. I'll probably look at your car and make sure it's clean. But I might hand you my keys and say, hey, you can take my car and bring it back uh, when you get yours fixed. But, and, and as I hand you my keys, I might say something like, but be careful with it. Now, you could interpret that to mean Steve means I shouldn't wreck his car. And that's a good start. I would care if you went and wrecked my car. But that's not all I care about. Because I also care if you rev it up to 7,000 RPMs every time you shift gears. I also care if you fill it up with diesel. I also care if you, you know, commit a felony with it or you spill your cappuccino between my seats or you put something illegal in the glove box and leave it there for me to find or if you let your 14 cats run wild in my car and do their business. I mean, I care holistically about my car. I care about all aspects of how you treat my car because it's mine. Well, God's the same way about our money. Did you know that scripture tells us, I know you know, because Danielle read this verse earlier, Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Did you catch that? Everything in it 
is the Lord's. Well, does that include my money, Steve? I don't know. Is it in the, in the world? I suppose you could make a case if all your money is tied up in the International Space Station or in the Mars rover that, you know, it's not God's. I can, you can make, maybe make a biblical case. But it says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so if you're a Christian and the Bible is your authority on all things in life, then what that means is that it all belongs to God. That, that my money is not mine at all. It all belongs to him. Now, here's the good news. If you're not a Christian and you're here today, this doesn't have to apply to you. Over the next three weeks, what we're going to talk about uh, doesn't have to apply to you. But I think if you lean in a little bit and you take some of the things that we're going to talk about and apply them to your financial life, that you'll still see a benefit, that you'll still find yourself finding financial freedom. So it all belongs to him. Here's the question that many of us have inevitably come up with. If it all belongs to him, why doesn't he send a little bit more of it my way, right? If it all belongs to him, if he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, why can't I keep my car running? Uh, if it all belongs to him, do you think he'll care if I spend a little bit on a Caribbean cruise next month? Because it's awfully cold here and it's not real cold in the Caribbean and I'd really like to go. You know, if it all belongs to him, why does it seem like only my kids need braces and nobody else's kids? You know, if it all belongs to him, don't we all have questions, thoughts, cares, anxieties, worries, confusion about money, about how to save and how to spend and how to give and how to earn our money? Don't we all get a little overwhelmed? by it from time to time. Well, I want to give you one more piece of good news. Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to set us free. The scripture tells us that. If you're a Christian, you know that. You you know that his death on the cross, his resurrection has set you free from sin, but that's not all. Now, Romans 8, 2 says it this way, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And see, I believe with every fiber of my being, that Jesus came to set us free from every kind of bondage. Every kind. Do you believe that? Every kind of bondage. And that includes financial bondage. And when we hold on so tight to money and to what culture teaches us about money, that that money will save us, that money will protect us, money will provide for us, that, that money measures our value. Hello, when money is a measuring stick, that pretty much tells you that you're in financial bondage, that you're in bondage to money. So what's the answer to financial bondage? Well, there's only one, and it's Jesus. And the Bible tells us in John 8, so if the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. See, many of us, maybe most of us, have tried something or a lot of things to improve our financial life, right? We've read a book, we've gone to a seminar, taken a weekend class, uh, we've taken a college course, you know, we've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Millionaire Next Door, Money Magazine, Warren Buffett's latest book, and yet we're all still here and none of us are Warren Buffett yet, right? But I believe with all of my being that God, the creator of the universe, sent his son Jesus to set us free. And if you believe that too, I think, I think many of us in this room have experienced that freedom. We've, we've thrown off our sinful ways. We've been clothed in righteousness by him and we've found freedom from sin in our lives. Well, just like God has given us freedom, uh, spiritual freedom, freedom from sin, I believe with all my heart, he wants to ha- has to have financial freedom as well. Freedom from want, freedom from worry, freedom from anxiety about money. And if the son sets you free, then you are free indeed, free from every burden, every worry, every hurt. That's why it's a little surprising, I think, that some people who have found spiritual freedom in Christ haven't yet found financial freedom in Christ. That sometimes it takes years after we have that spiritual reckoning to find financial freedom. Some people never find it at all. 
I love how pastor and author Bill Hybel says this. He says, far more Christ followers have had spiritual reconciliations with Jesus than financial reconciliations with Jesus. But Jesus came to set every part of us free. And if you've ever had a spiritual stronghold in your life, whether it's a a, a sin pattern, a, a habit, an addiction that you've been set free from in Christ, you know that the only way that you overcome that completely is to give over that area of your life to Jesus, right? Well, it's the same with, financial, with your financial life. If you want to break the stronghold that money has on your heart, you have to give every aspect of that part of your life to Jesus. You know, so if we're going to be set free financially, which is, I believe, God's desire for all of us, there are some ideas, some truths, some, uh, some principles that we need to embrace. And what we're going to do over the next three weeks is we're going to investigate three different principles. And the first one is the one we're going to talk about today, and, and it's this. All, of it, all I have is not mine. All I have is not mine. Instead, everything that I have has been entrusted to me by its owner, God. The earth is the Lord and everything's in it, everything in it. And over the three weeks of the series, we're going to say it this way. All I have comes from the hand of a loving God. All I have comes from the hand of a loving God. This is so foundational for us and what we're going to talk about over these three weeks. In fact, why don't you just say this with me, okay? All I have comes from the hand of a loving God. If you're going to find financial freedom, you've got to be able to embrace this truth. You've got to be able to live it. In the book of James, we read it this way. James 1, 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Do you honestly believe that? That every good and perfect gift is from above? I wish I could stand up here and tell you that I always believe that and I always live my life like that, but th- the truth is, even as your pastor, I don't always live like this, that every good and perfect gift is from above. And, and, and maybe it's the same reason that you struggle with this. And, and here's what my reasoning is. Every morning, I choose to get out of bed and come to work. Do you? Like I, I choose to get up and come to work. I, I get dressed with clothes that I bought. I eat food that I cooked. I get in the car that I own after 22 more easy payments. And, and then I come to work and I earn a salary. Right? I, I, I do that because I was able to study and graduate and earn a degree and earn another degree by working hard. I put in my time, I use my abilities, I expend my energy to earn the rewards, the fruits of my labor. No one can tell me how to spend my hard-earned money. That's, that's the heart of free market capitalism, right? That I work for it, I earn it, it's mine. Not, nobody can tell me how to spend it. Not the government, not the church, not even my wife. Well, don't tell her I said that, okay? <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? Like, that's, that's kind of the heart. That, that's what our culture tells us. And in a way, it's all true. Like, you, you set your alarm clock every morning. You choose to get up. And maybe you choose to co- get up to come in early. You want to be the first one into the office so that you can earn your keep. Maybe you're the last one to go. Maybe you come in even when you're sick. And by the way, your coworkers love you for that. Or if you're a student, you have that babysitting job. You know, you've got that lawn mowing business that you started. You, you, you choose to leave school and go to work so you can earn some money because you're going to help pay your way through school or, or, you know, pay for the expenses you have now or whatever because you want to earn money. Well, my, my college degree is in finance and economics, which set me up perfectly for this job, by the way. <laughs> but uh, every good econ professor will tell you uh, what money is, and the money is just a medium of exchange. It's a way that we uh, store 
our labor so that later we can exchange it for somebody else's labor, right? When you think about this, in the old days, the way it worked was uh, you give me a bale of hay and I churn you a pound of butter and we make that exchange, right? But then if you've got too much butter, you don't know what to do. You have to go find somebody else who wants a pound of butter and exchange that. So we came up with money and money is a way that, uh, just like a note that we can pass that says, hey, you worked for an hour, here's some of this, and you go later and buy somebody else's hour of work, right? That's what money is basically. And so, uh, you know, it's a way to allow you to exchange some of your labor for somebody else's labor in the future. Well, even though you gave your time to earn that money, you didn't create time. You make time. That time is a gift from God. Now, although you used your talent to earn that money, maybe you even developed your talent over time and you worked hard to develop that talent, your talents and abilities were given to you by God. And, and, and other talented people have come alongside of you and invested in you, and you wouldn't have those talents if it weren't for them. I think about it. <laughs> Most of us, we had a talented doctor at our birth. And if we didn't, some of us wouldn't be alive today, right? You had somebody that, that fed you and clothed you and changed your dirty diapers. You ever think about that? I mean, whenever somebody tells me I'm a self-made man, you know, I just want to say, really, did you change your own diapers? I mean, you know, someone taught you to read. Somebody taught you to talk. Somebody taught you math and taught you how to write. Somebody drove you to school, and then they taught you how to drive. Someone made the clothes you're wearing. They made the bagel you ate before you came in here this morning. They built the car you rode here in. Somebody paved the roads that you drove in, drove on. Somebody made the mattress that allowed you to sleep last night. They built the house that kept you warm last night. And somebody paved the road that allowed you to drive here today. Life is a gift. I mean, every second of life is a gift. All of us are dependent on God and on the people that God surrounds us with to survive. Now, that's not to take away one iota of how hard you worked or how much you've invested and everything it took you to get to where you are today. I still believe, by the grace of God, that we live in a country where anybody with a little ambition, a little talent, and the desire to work hard can can make something of their life, can get ahead in life. But even those things are gifts from God. Talent, ambition, desire. All I have comes from the hand of a loving God. And believing this will begin to set you free from worry and anxiety. It will believe to set you free financially, or begin to set you free financially, and it will start to release the grip of bondage that money has on you. You know, the New Testament has a lot to say about worry. Jesus had a lot to say about worry. I want to read to you a rather lengthy passage that confirms his belief that all we have comes from the hand of a loving God. But I want to give you the context first. This is one of Jesus' earliest and probably his most famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if, you were, if you've been around Genesis for a while, you know that last year, I think last spring, we did a series called Beautiful that was on the Sermon on the Mount, the the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He talks in this sermon about what the kingdom of God, it's probably the most complete picture we have from Jesus of what the kingdom of God really looks like. And so what's happening is people are coming to hear Jesus preach, and uh, generally the belief at the time was the people that were blessed financially by God were the ones that would inherit the kingdom of God, that God was blessing them financially because he was blessing them spiritually. And Jesus kind of, in this sermon, kind of turns that on his head, and he says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are the peacemakers, and blessed are those who mourn. And it kind of sets people back on their heels, because it's not what they're expecting to hear. And so while people's minds were reeling about this, Jesus decides to pile on. And that's where we're going to start in Matthew six twenty four. He says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
And so Jesus is saying, it's like this. You're going to like one and not like the other. You're going to love one and despise the other, he actually says. It's like watching the football game this afternoon, right? You, you're, going to, you're going to root for one team. You're not going to root for both teams. You can't root for both teams. You might think, I don't really care who wins this game, but what you, if you're a football fan, what happens is you end up watching the game and you find your heart drawn to one of those two teams, right? And you start rooting and pulling for one team to win. And so like this afternoon, the Broncos, Peyton Manning and the Broncos are paying, playing uh, Tom Brady and the Patriots. You can't root for both teams. You're going to love one and hate the other. And, and, the, and honestly, the Broncos and the Patriots are kind of like God and money because one of them is good all the time. And the love of the other is the root of all evil. And so, <laughs> amen. I heard an amen. You can't serve them both, right? You can't serve both God and money. Jesus says you're either love one and despise the other. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow was thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says, you don't have to worry. And if you're here and you're anxious about money and you've got money struggles in your life, I hope you hear that today. You don't have to worry that that God's got your back. God will provide. You'll find all of your everyday needs will be met. God will help you through whatever hard things come your way. All I have comes from the hand of a loving God. Now, let me ask you this. If you come to the place where you believe that everything you have is a gift from God, What's the proper response to a gift? What, what do you say when somebody gives you a generous gift? Thank you, right? Thank you. It's to say thank you. The proper response is always to say thank you, to be thankful for what you have. You know how it's awkward when somebody gives you like an over-the-top compliment and you start to defer and say, well, I didn't really do that or I, I couldn't have done it without a lot of help. Sometimes you don't know what to say. I have people come up to me and say, hey, so-and-so said this about me. What should I tell them? I said, tell them thank you. Thank you is always a good response. You know, somebody gives you a very generous gift and you, the people have asked me, you know, what should I do? I can't really accept this. I said, say thank you. Thank you never fails as an appropriate response to generosity. Thank you never makes people feel awkward. It's always appropriate and it always helps the receiver understand that I didn't earn the gift, that it was given to me. It was a gift. It, it was a compliment, you know, whatever it was, but it was given to them and you should be thankful for it. Embracing the idea that life is a gift, that every good and perfect gift is from above will help us to see life a little differently than we do now. That, that it will lead you away from desiring more and more of life's stuff, if you know what I mean, and more toward being thankful for what he's already given you. 
So I came across this blog this week called Momastery. Have any of you ever read this? I don't normally read mom blogs, but anybody ever read Momastery? Well, good. Maybe it's a, a couple of you. Maybe it's a new thing. This is written by a woman. Her name is Glennon Doyle Melton. She's a recovering alcoholic and addict, and uh, she's now a mom and an author who uh, really embraces, I think, the messiness of life. And if you're a mom, you know uh, you can choose to live a life where you post your highlights on Instagram, right, or on Pinterest or wherever, or you can choose to embrace the messiness that really is your life. And I think this woman really embraces the messiness that is her life. And so what happened was she had written a blog post, and in it she had included some pictures of her family dancing in her kitchen, and she got some unexpected responses. Some of her very loyal, very loving readers in a loving way responded and offered to help her remodel her kitchen after seeing these pictures. And as she started to look around and look at her kitchen, she thought, you know what? Yeah, maybe I could use some new cabinets or some new appliances and, and started to go down that path of, well, maybe they're right. Maybe this is something we should do. And then something happened that made her look at it again. It, it helped her to see things with new eyes. And, and I want to share with you a little bit of what she wrote. This is what she wrote. She said, you guys, I have a refrigerator. This thing magically makes food cold. I'm pretty sure in the olden days, Frontier's woman had to drink warm Diet Coke. Sweet Jesus, thank you, precious kitchen. She said, inside my refrigerator is food, healthy food that so many parents would give anything to be able to feed their children. Almost 16,000 mama's babies die every day from malnutrition, not mine. When this food runs out, I'll just jump in my car and go get more. It's ludicrous, really. It's like my family hits the lottery every morning. And then she says, this crazy thing is a water faucet. I pull this lever and clean water pours out every time, day or night. 780 million people worldwide, one in nine, lack access to clean water. Mamas everywhere spend their entire day walking miles to and from wells for just a single bucket of this, and I have it right here at my fingertips. I'm almost embarrassed to say that we also have one of these in each of our two bathrooms and one in the front yard with which to wash our feet. We use clean drinking water to wash our feet. Holy bounty. Then she says, this is the magical box in which I put uncooked stuff, push some buttons, and a minute later, pull out cooked stuff. It's like the Jetsons up in here. (laughs) And she says, and look, you guys, look, this is the kitchen corner where I keep all my kids' school stuff. My kids go to a free school with brilliant teachers and a loving administration, and they're safe there. The school sends flyers home about programs and classes and clubs to make my kids' hearts bigger and softer and their brains sharper and their bodies healthier. This corner reminds me every day that my kids have at their fingertips what so many around the world are giving their lives for, quality education. Let me ask you, what are the, what are the things in your life that you need to see through new eyes? What are the good and perfect gifts from above that you've been taking for granted, that you're wishing would improve or hoping would become even perfecter? here's the challenge for this week, if you're willing to take it. My challenge to you is to practice saying thank you this week. You know, say thank you to your parents when they cook you a meal or wash your clothes. Say thank you to your kids when they clean up after themselves. Say thank you to your barista when she hands you the steaming hot cup of coffee or thank you to your mechanic when he gets your car running right. Say thank you to that person at work who drives you crazy, but because of them, you're able to be more productive. Say thank you to your teachers that help you learn stuff, that stuff that, believe it or not, you are going to use someday. And most of all, say thank you to God who provides every good and perfect gift from above. You know, the key to breaking free from financial bondage is to acknowledge and remember and live like it's not mine at all, that it all belongs to God. 
Now, don't think this. I don't think you are because you guys are really smart. But just in case, I'm going to say it. I felt like I needed to say it anyway. Somebody might be thinking, if it all belongs to God anyway, then that's not really my debt, right? Like, I don't have to pay that because it's God's money. He'll take care of it, right? That's not true. We're still accountable for our own financial commitments. And, And if you're in a financial mess right now, one of the things we wanted to do during this series was not just talk about this from the stage, but really give you a chance to do something about it. If you... Uh, It's important to acknowledge that uh, you're not going to get out of a mess overnight. If you're in a mess, it took you a while to get there. And uh, so the first step is to admit that it all comes from God, but that's not the last step. There are a lot of steps after that. But if you want some help, we've got a new group starting next month at our Noblesville campus called Financial Peace University. This is a Dave Ramsey course. It runs on Sunday nights beginning uh, February 21st from 6 to 7.30 at Noblesville. It's been going to be led by our lead pastor and his wife, Paul and Jenny Mumaw. Now, they will lead the class, but the teaching will be uh, via video from Dave Ramsey. And if you're thinking about joining a group anyway and you'd like to get your financial act together or get on the same page with your spouse, maybe you and your spouse aren't on the same page about money, this is a great way uh, to do that. The, 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 my wife and I went through it a few years ago, and it changed our financial life. It really, it's probably been 10 years now. In fact, but I believe that it helped prepare me financially to make the jump into ministry. I don't think if, I'd, if I hadn't done this, I don't know that I'd be here standing in front of you guys today. Uh, but it was so helpful for us. Now, there is a cost for this class. It's 100 bucks to take. That buys the materials. But if you're in such a place that you can't do that, uh, we've got some people who have been willing to pay scholarships. And so uh, we'd love to talk to you about signing up for Financial Peace University. But the $100 enables you to take it anytime you want for the rest of your life. You know, it's not, it's not my money. It's God's money. And we honor him best when we're good stewards of what he's entrusted to us. And so that I hope that we remember this week, every week, every day this week, that we, well, everything we have, all we have, comes from the hand of loving God. As Romans 8, 2 says, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. But that doesn't end there. It goes on. Romans 8, 3 says, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And we celebrate that together every time we get together, but we celebrate it specifically once a month through the taking of communion. And we're gonna do that uh, together as a family here today. And so uh, here's what we're gonna do. The band's gonna come out uh, and they're just gonna start playing some music. But uh, we've got four tables, two in the front and two in the back. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to take communion with us. And the way it works, just come up to the front or go to the back, grab a cup. There are two cups stacked together, and the one on bottom is the bread, and uh, it represents Jesus' body that was broken for you. And the one on top is the juice that represents the blood of Christ that was spilled for you. Jesus said when he passed the cup around, he said, this is a, my blood, which represents a new covenant. It's a new agreement between you and me is what he was saying. He's saying, if you accept my blood as payment for your sin, you, you're free that you're free from sin. You're free from worry. You're free from anxiety. You're free from it because Jesus has come to set us free. And so let's celebrate that uh, like we really mean it. Uh, if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower, if you never made that decision to follow Jesus, please just let this moment pass by. We're gonna, the band's gonna play a song. You can watch the words of this song. See what it might mean for you in your life. But as I step down off the stage, you're welcome to come forward and get communion. Take it back to your seat and take it in your own time. Let me pray for us. God, I am so thankful that you came to set us free, that it wasn't enough for you to look down from heaven and just make some proclamation, but that you sent your own son to come down here and pay the price that we deserve, pay the penalty that we deserved so that we could be free. 
Thank you for raising him up from the dead three days later to show us that you could overcome anything, anything in our lives, that financial matters are a small matter compared to raising somebody from the dead. So God, thanks for showing that. Thanks for sending Jesus for us. We remember him, we pray for him, or we, we, we praise him. We thank you for the work that he did in our lives as we remember this through communion. In Jesus' name, amen.